This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Screen Doc, New Wire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic. Joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. If you're watching the Zoom version of this podcast and you can see that with the New York Film Festival main slate announced, we both just decided to get an early start on things and come to the festival now. So I'm here in the lobby of the Walter Reed Theater and you seem to be at some kind of outdoor This was an event. So they're going to be doing a lot of rooftop uh, events and and drive-ins. They're starting a week early. Um, And this is an outdoor event right there on the plaza at Lincoln Center. And that's Eugene Hernandez, who's the new, um, this is his first film festival uh, put together under considerable duress. And I'm proud I'm proud of him. It's a good selection. I, it's, it's an I mean, old-ish look, selection, though. I think that we should be proud of anybody who put together a film festival, more or less, under these circumstances. But the thing that it, that is always nice about New York Film Festival, obviously, is that it's a tightly curated selection that is, even in a normal year, uh, not quite as mandated by the kind of aggressive chase for world premieres and, and award status and all that. And Obviously, that's exacerbated this year. You see in this lineup that it's a lot of films that we saw in Berlin, a lot of films that are, you know, we've already heard about going to, say, Toronto and things like that, but not very star-driven. It's a very international selection, a lot of really adventurous documentary storytelling. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see how we experience New York Film Festival period, which is why, even though it's hilarious that we are, you know, from a video standpoint, virtually putting ourselves at this festival, that is essentially how most people will experience New York Film Festival. Well, local people will be able to do something like what's in my picture. Um, But what what I'm fascinated by is is I've I've applied, right? I'm not, as a press person, I'm not going to New York. You'll be there. Um, And I will be experiencing the screenings virtually of, of the movies that I haven't seen yet. Um, Nomadland, by the way, which is playing uh, all the festivals and is having a drive-in screening here uh, for Telluride and and, and Toronto and Venice all at once. You know, the first screening of it will be the Venice Telluride uh, simultaneous introduction. So Searchlight is doing a screening. It was inevitable somebody was going to do that with uh, with the film, so it makes sense that it's one of the, the more anticipated ones, and it's one of two films traveling to all those festivals. The other is Naturno, the new right. uh, the documentary, Rossi. right? John Franco Rossi. So you know that movie about some Middle East strife maybe doesn't quite lend itself to the same sort of big splashy premiere approach. So it makes sense that it, that Nomad's going to get that, but it'll be interesting to see which films outside of that get the drive-in approach versus the virtual screening, which is going to be a very different kind of thing. I mean, there, there are films that uh, will probably play very well, but are, are not necessarily the kinds of things you want to sit in your car to watch. And so they'll have to be sort of something that you experience in a different kind of way. But I am also, I don't know, I'm really curious to see how this tightly curated lineup plays for people, given that it is 
a, you know, perhaps lower profile, but also from a cinema standpoint, one of the more exciting lineups. I mean, you have something like Time, which is this really beautiful black and white documentary. Extraordinary film, which will be a very strong documentary Oscar contender. Really right. beautiful film. And you have Gunda, which we saw. Which we in loved Berlin, in Berlin, the, the, the pig. pig documentary. And then you have something like Hong Sang Su's The Woman Who Ran, which is, you know, if you like also Hong Sang Berlin. This is a good one. But it's, you know, again, it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta be compelled to check out these movies uh, and not just sort of, you know, the way that somebody might go to New York Film Festival and just see whatever they can get tickets to or trust the curation, you're gonna have to make time for the experience in a different kind of way. So I'm sort of fascinated looking at this lineup and wondering how people choose to prioritize different kinds of films. A lot of it will probably come down to how the online process is organized and to what extent people are sort of compelled to go to the outdoor components in tandem with that, you know, and which one? Well, really it's matter? very much in sync with what the main bar uh, taste of the New York Film Festival would have been in the past. Um, uh, I was looking at it very much in, you know, as you say, there are a number of high profile docs and that's why they're there because they are in the running for Oscars, right? So it was important uh, to put time into this festival or to put Gunda in there or, or the Gianfranco Rossi. But um, also there's foreign language films. And the question is, I don't think Korea has ever submitted Hong Sang-soo for an Oscar. And would Germany submit Undine, which I really liked, but at the same time, it's not the best Christian Petzl not the I've greatest ever seen. It's, it's a really good movie compared to most movies I've seen this year, right. but it's just my not on his level right. of barbara minor yeah. petzold is like a sliding scale i mean yeah, yeah. but it is there is a lot it's a very it. charming entertaining beautiful attractive movie i mean it's it's a good you know atmospheric uh movie truffle hunters is one of the docs that sony pictures classics is promoting has been since since uh sundance and i'm interested in this movie i'm curious to know what you know about it uh tragic jungle selva trahika I think, and I it's absolutely um, nothing about Mexico, them. France, Colombia, twenties period Mayan jungle. Yeah, I I mean, it's see a great this. selling point, and that's the thing. It's like I appreciate the curator. I mean, there's a new selection committee from New York Film Festival this year. It's got some of its youngest members ever, also, um, and I think that there's something kind of. Uh, extraordinary about the ability for a festival like that to be able to, to put something like that in its main slate that seems so off the radar, even if you're tracking festival. Well, they had but, to come up with some things that other people hadn't come up with. Well, but I, I honestly new. think it is probably a curatorial response to what's out there. I mean, where's Ammonite, for example? I noticed that. It is in other major festivals. That seems to me like something that very much could have been at New York Film Festival. I could imagine someone like Dennis Lim throwing himself on the floor and saying, over my dead body. You see what I'm saying? Oh, they all have to it, agree. Let's be careful here. No, Earl, I'm just he saying he's, he's a rarefied, uh, you know, strong, uh, you know, he's not gonna let, I'm just saying, that was my guess. Well, you Someone mentioned out, uh, there, it's the, not, it's not the void of uh, some star power this year. It's not like it's all, um, you know, sort of international cinema from non-American places and, uh, and docs. There's also uh, a closing night film from Sony Pictures Classics, uh, which is Aza Jacobs' new movie. It's a French exit adaptation with Michelle Pfeiffer. Which is, that again, cool. another Oscar play. And you know that Sony is committed 
to theatrical. And so you can assume they're going to get that open and they're going to go for Michelle Pfeiffer uh, for, for uh, and, and she could be in the running. Well, we don't really, the things we don't really know with that one, it's like, okay, so Sony Classics is committed to theatrical, but when, when is that theatrical? If they put happen? it in the festival, right. that means they're they going to open it. it. Right. It's a launch. Right. So, so the question is all the films that we were wondering who are the, which we know are on this list of films that are going to be in the Oscar race that are waiting. They have no release dates and they're not in the New York Film Festival. Mm -hmm. All these A24 titles and and Searchlight titles and and Focus titles, they're waiting and they made the you know clearly I'm sure Eugene was trying to get them. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks like the New York Film Festival, but at the same time, it does look like a New York Film Festival that, like everybody else, has been hand-strung by a range right. of different decisions that are beyond their control. So you have to look at where the excitement factor comes from. It comes from stuff like Nomad Land and Eterno. It comes from and a, and Michelle Steve McQueen titles. Yeah, yeah it comes from three about. Steve McQueen movies, which is cool. There's also two really long films, which I think is a funny hallmark of New York Film Festival. City Hall, right? City Hall is three Wiseman. and a half hours. Yeah. 90 year old Frederick Wiseman, but you gotta give him credit. I mean, the question is, could any could anybody else get away with making a movie about City Hall that's that long? Probably not, but I have to say, you know, I committed to Ex Libris and I thought it was fantastic. So this film, there's this film, Malmkrog, which is a Romanian film, Romanian director, Christy Puyu, who's been in Cannes and other places. But this film is three and a half hours of dense philosophical conversation in a room. So it's very New York Film Festival to put this in the main slate. And uh, the gamble, obviously, is that it's going to ask a lot of people, even if they want to subject themselves to that. And I can't wait for that kind of debate. Like last year, they had that 14-hour multi-part movie, La Flor. It's going to be like this year's La Flor, except it's even more of a, of a, of a, a viewing challenge. I don't know if I... So it, that means that maybe Romania it. won't submit it for the Oscar, if it's like that? <laughs> I, I personally would be surprised. I don't know how many Academy members would commit to a movie like this, but hey... You know, if Romania doesn't really care to get shortlisted, then, you know, by all means, take that risk. Um, but there are a couple of movies from China, a couple of movies um, from France. You know, we'll see if anything comes comes clear in terms of, um, like, the Philippe Garel, uh, they've never put him up for uh, Oscars in the past. No. I didn't love that movie. I, I, I mean, he's, a, he's definitely sort of... He's been around a while and he is in some ways the definition of an acquired taste i mean he has a very particular style and i thought it was just a you know i appreciated aspects of this little black and white movie about an awful guy getting his comeuppance to some degree that's that's fun to watch but it, it didn't blow me away having said that when you have the luxury of going to the festival to see a new philippe Garel, you can be a snob and Maybe other people just want to keep up with the new Philippe Garel, the same way you want to see the new Petzl. It doesn't have to be the greatest Petzl. So that's one reason why festivals can be valuable from, you know, a general festival goer standpoint. We have to remember that matters too, on some level. I am sure. curious I'm about... looking forward to the Argentinian one, Isabella. That looks good to sure. me. Sure. Yeah, from Matias Pinheiro, always a really yeah. interesting guy. Um, and, and note that I carry with me Heidi Ewing's film, which we talked Excellent about. Excellent film. Highly recommend. There. So I yeah. actually, you know, I, I helped uh, curate a, a sidebar uh, called Critics Week at Tribeca. 
and this was supposed to premiere in Tribeca, I think it's worked out really in the favor of I think it this played at Sundance so, already. Right, it had premiered at Sundance, but then would, would have gone to Tribeca after that. I think the, the fall launch instead is, is actually working out in favor of this really it's interesting It's a beautiful movie. love story, a gay love story, almost like a documentary. Um, the hybrid. The hybrid. And I, 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 I can see why Eugene and the, and the festival committee wanted to play it. I it's also very it. much a uh, New play York well. story. It's a New yep. York story. Absolutely. And, uh, and another Sony Classics. Cuban immigrants, right. Right, so, so you know, Sony Classics is actually- Oh, is it not? It's Mexican. It's Mexican, right? Oh, it's a Mexican story, yeah. yeah. Mexican. Mexican immigrants, yeah. And, the, and who live now in, in New York. So it's very interesting the way- kind I'm of, sure they'll show up. Yeah, well, we hope, we hope. I mean, sh whatever show up means. I mean, that's the other thing, you know, I, I spent- Well, there's gonna be virtual introductions and on stage yeah, right. Q and A's. Right, well, the, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a different whatever kind of- Whatever that version of that. I spent this week writing a bit about this, the idea of virtual film festivals and the business that has been created around them. And I think it's, it's fascinating because there are all these companies like Shift72 and Cinesend and Inventive, and they're doing, they're creating services that festivals need now to basically create almost like their own version of Netflix. You know, it's the simpler, the better. You click a link and you get a landing page with all these different movies, but there's so many logistical challenges because not- and security challenges. Yes, serious security challenges. Everybody says they have the best security. It's not really clear to me who real, who actually does. And shift is expensive. I was surprised they, they, they at how costly. expensive it was. They are costly, but I mean, the, the question is, when you have resources, if you spend more money, supposedly you're going to get better service. And the challenge that a lot of these people are facing is that it's such uncharted terrain. You need somebody who can adapt constantly to new demands. Not every distributor wants their film online in the same way. Some people are okay with just having a 24 hour window or having it online for two weeks. Other people want, you know, premiere it at eight o'clock, take it offline by 10 o'clock or whatever it is. And there is a real debate going on right now about what makes the most sense there. Because, you know, ultimately, if you watch this movie on VOD at home as a part of New York Film Festival, which is essentially what it is, it's a VOD release for a, sh for a short window of time, that could eat into the business of releasing it later on. And so those are real concerns that these people have to figure out. But it's exclusivity, too. You miss that window, and then maybe you hear from somebody else who saw it, and then it actually gets released. A few so then the, the, well, but the but part of a film festival is building word of mouth and getting people to buy tickets to the next movie and the next screening. I mean, I, I hope they give people opportunities to learn about what works and what plays and, and book another film. I think the big question, I mean, tell me what you think about this, but to me, it's like, we are about to learn just how far people are willing to go to watch new movies. You know, that you can fire up so many different kinds of platforms on, on your home entertainment setup that you rely on because they're just a part of your life. And what film festivals are now going to have to do is enter somehow into that ecosystem and say, well, instead of watching this thing on Netflix or Hulu or HBO or whatever it is, hit this app or this link or screencast in this way to watch the new Frederick Wiseman movie or to watch Gunda or whatever it is. And I think that's a really interesting kind of a question because going to New York Film Festival, well, not everybody's going to do it but you can still understand the basics of it. Buy the ticket, go to the movie, experience the movie. Now we have something else. And I think it's a real question of just how much 
work are people willing to do? I mean, obviously you're willing to do the work because you want to see the movie. I have a job to do. This is my, you know, God forbid I should miss Nomadland. I got to see Nomadland. You're you're going to jump in a car and go see Nomadland. Yeah, but I'm I'm glad I'm ahead uh, on some of these because of course they were in Berlin and and there's a whole lot of more than usual I would say from Berlin and uh, some of the Cannes titles as well. All right, so the other thing that's going on, of course, is that AMC is opening up um, and, and it's going to be uh, by next week. People are going to be able to go to the movies again, and uh, that's kind of a big deal. Finally, it's real. It's actually happening with Let the real safety protocols and everything else. Which AMC location will have the first uh, violent mask showdown? I know. I mean, you saw that that music festival where Smash Mouth showed up and there were like thousands of people and they were like, F Corona. And I mean, the, the, the sentiment in this country that I think is just so baffling is that people are take it as an insult to be told to keep people safe. You know, it's like if they were told, don't bring your gun into a movie theater, I think even the gun nuts would be like, okay, yeah, they don't want us brandishing a gun in a movie theater. People do that sometimes they get arrested, but like somehow the idea of a mask on your face is this like deeply offensive thing. And I guess it'll be really interesting to see what the theater vibe is even like. I mean, there's not any concession. Well, think about the target audience for Unhinged. What this is, is not good. <laughs> it's not going to go well. Is it all, is it all <laughs> it's Russell like an audience Crow? full of Russell Crowe, angry oh, guys, you know? <laughs> you know, but the, that's just not, I mean, I guess those people go to the movies, but they go to pretty crappy movies and they don't, I mean, they don't really value the movie going experience. So why would they even want to Oh, I don't think we way? should generically, uh, you know, describe an entire group of people this way. I was making a joke. I, I'll make a generic description of the Russell Crowe road rage characters. I mean, I, I guess what I'm talking about is, is people who aren't, who, who have a very passive and non-passionate relationship to movie going might not be the people who are going to jump at the chance to go to an AMC unless there's a new Marvel movie or something, in which case, you know, that's a question. Well, this is what we're going to find out. We're going to find out. I mean, Unhinged is opened in some uh, territories uh, overseas, and and uh, we got Tenet coming up um, first overseas and then in the U.S., and uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, meanwhile, production is getting started. Uh, they, they've actually had a start in New Zealand with James Cameron. There's a difference between Wellington and Auckland and Auckland is where they had a COVID spike and they shut everything down solid for three days, Wednesday to Friday. But wasn't then they're going to start up again. It's just a few cases. I mean, that it's four, literally or 14, I think actually. I mean, proportionally speaking, it's different than other parts of the country because there's more sheep than people, I think in New Zealand, but it's still (laughs) millions of people. And uh, they had just been sort of celebrating a hundred days of no, active cases when this yeah happened. so they couldn't tell where this came from so so they they have a bunch of things uh, gearing up for production there and they're going to be bringing in a lot more and they're sort of cheering in new zealand that they can get their their um you know as long as people are willing to quarantine they can get their productions back up and running so they're going to yeah, be bought, putting in a lot of of movies uh to you know because that's where you can do it safely it's, I think all over the world now, it's this fascinating sort of stop and start rhythm that everyone's adapting to when it comes to literally everything, you know, I mean. The Lord of the Rings is one of the things that was oh, about yeah. to start in, uh, in New Zealand. 
Yeah, and then in other parts of the world, you have these people on standby, you know, the, the Robert Eggers film, The Northman with Nicole Kidman and, and Willem Dafoe is supposedly about to get going soon. You have uh, the Batman, which is ready to jump right in. So, Well, the UK has been one of the places that's been held up along with the, with the US. Um, so we're going to have Ted Sarandos of Netflix on uh, the podcast, one of our live podcasts coming up next week, a week from Friday, we'll, uh, Thursday, we will record it and uh, we'll be able to ask him uh, what's going on with Netflix productions. They're, they're getting back up and running as well. Yeah, everybody's developing their own protocols too. I mean, I was talking to a lawyer who's been advising on a range of different film shoots and, and the biggest challenge that they have is obviously there's no, you can't get COVID related insurance. And then there are all these different questions about- so you have to be you know, wealthy. You have to be rich enough wealthy. to be able to handle your own bonding. And then if you don't have those resources, you have actual questions about the stories that you're telling. You know, if a filmmaker wants to have a really passionate sex scene, well, maybe that's a risk. You know, Not such a good idea. Stay, you know, so we, you actually have to consider how the, the narratives we'll be seeing in the immediate future will be shaped by, by safety standards as well. I think it's going to be a- a fascinating process, but uh, there certainly is not going to be an absence of product next year. I yeah, mean, everybody I talked to has been, you know, I was talking to some uh, head of an agency yesterday and, and there, you know, there's development going on across the board everywhere. There's going to be no, <laughs> no lack of screenplays and series and, and television and everything else. But what's going to be interesting is how the industry has shifted and changed during this period in a very quick period of time. And um, I think we're looking at Warner Media, you know, letting go of some pretty big executives mm -hmm. like Bob Greenblatt and Kevin Riley, who were respected and, and had relationships with talent. And, um, you know, a lot of people in town are scratching their heads that that would ever happen, that Jason Kalar could come in and, and take over and just get rid of people Thank of that me. stature, you know? Yeah. But he well, wouldn't I mean, have come know. in if he didn't have permission to do that, or if everyone didn't already see the launch of HBO Max as a botched launch yeah. that needed to be addressed. I find that to be so uh, dis discouraging because I really like HBO Max. It's not like it was just, you know, it's not like a quibby type of situation where it was no, like- it's got great content. It's, yeah, it's really good. And HBO it, and, for one thing, Perry yeah, Mason, HBO. we love. I mean, the, the HBO shows are great. I, I made a story of you. I, I'm almost done with that right now. It's extraordinary. I mean, that, but that's just HBO. I mean, I was just saying like HBO Max in general, it's like, I like the layout. I find the library. I watched some Looney, classic Looney Tunes over the weekend. I mean, it's, the, it's pretty extensive. Perfect time for that. And I do, yeah, and, and I do wonder what it would have taken to get this on people's radar more. You know, I also got- to be all right. I think it's a totally correctable thing. I think people are finding there's plenty of good stuff on HBO. It was the, I'm just talking about the literal launch and the difficulties that people had. You may not have, but I heard lots of stories of people who didn't, what's HBO Go? What's HBO Now? What's HBO Max? Where do I find this? How do I, you know, if I'm on Amazon Fire, how do I get it? If I'm on Roku, how do I get it? It's a problem. Well, to bring that back to this tinier world that we were talking about before with the film festivals, I think this is the big fear right is is if the people who would ordinarily be eager to tune into festival movies 
encounter some sort of practical challenges in terms of just like getting it started and finding out where to go, they're going to give up pretty quickly and default to their other kinds of viewing habits. And we see that across everything now. You have to have a reason to stand out. So one of the big questions is going to be what those viewing habits are going to look like and have people really pivoted to a kind of PVOD uh, habit, you know, that they would repeat after the pandemic is over and forever. We may be in this for a while, so um, it's True. going to continue. I will Mulan, say Mulan, that was not supposed no. to happen, <laughs> you no, know, the way not. it's going with the streaming at, on Disney Plus. And, and so it's going to be, it's going to be a, a, a real, uh, what's happened is that the studios have, what, what that Warner Media shift means and what the changes at Universal mean is that streaming is the new dominant platform at the studios it's no the studios we once knew as movie studios you and i care about two-hour movies that portion of the industry has become marginalized yeah i mean and this is inevitable right the whole idea of the uh the streaming platforms the streaming wars that we were anticipating wasn't something that was being layered on top of an existing model it was existing models looking to become the thing they saw as the next parent well part of the problem is that you are what they're trying to do is compete with netflix netflix He's my is my cat wailing in the background he has about this too <laughs> an organic thing that's growing and and building and they they kind of ignored it for a long time they just didn't think it was that important little red envelopes what's that right. you know so eventually the studios which were hanging on to their windows model for dear Way life and all late. the lucrative millions that they could make uh from from licensing to hbo or whatever uh they were doing on tv and and overseas they eventually figured out that netflix had had stolen their bacon and 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 really uh it was too late and and so maybe disney plus is the one that's going to do the best or maybe well, let me peacock. let me just get this out there have you tried peacock yet Give it a shot. Even though it's free. I'm, I'm very curious to know what you make of it because we, the thing that I find fascinating when you, when you go through HBO Max and, and, and Peacock and Disney Plus. And, and Hulu. Uh, they, they all have really distinct identities. Peacock is interesting because it's free and it has ads, but the layout is so different from another streaming platform. You can browse recent news. You can kind of check out, you know, sports updates or whatever. It feels more like something for someone who wants a range of options that are real time curated as opposed to say a library of new episodes of really great stuff. So it's not necessarily competing in quite the same way, but in my household, it feels complimentary. Can you and get so MSNBC on Peacock? You can, well, you can get M N B NBC live. You can't get MSNBC live, but you can get recent material from there. So it's, uh, so for example, when Kamala Harris was announced this past week as Joe Biden's running me, uh, within, you know, that, that day, the end of the day, I fired up Peacock and I watched some news highlights from NBC and MSNBC analyzing it. And that was really easy for me to do. I could definitely think about cutting the cord, finally. I'm annoyed with do my it. cable company. Get some scissors Spectrum. and just do it. And I'm really thinking, because I, uh, for various reasons, it stopped working and I've been dealing with that. And, um, and my receiver isn't working with all the things I have plugged into it. It's one of those technological issues. And I can't get anyone to come in and look at it for two weeks, right? That's my life. 
I'm watching everything on my iPad in my bed now. But um, anyway, it, it, it's really going to be, um, I think I realized that I don't need it. And it would, it would be news. It would be things yeah. like that that I would right. miss. You could, you still CNN have is what I would miss. Or being able to DVR wanna, baseball. Yeah. I used to have, I used to have uh, a cable and, and, and for that reason to, to keep tabs on, on real-time news in that respect. But I haven't had it in years and I don't miss it because I just have other ways of getting news. And I think stream, if the streaming platforms start to lean into that and Peacock certainly seems to understand that, then yeah, just get those scissors and cut that cable. Well, Though cable say, was the dominant thing for so many of these companies yeah. and now it's going, it's just going away. I think the, the thing that I, I miss is the live event in all of this because physic, in physical events, we get that live component and uh, live TV gives you that. But if we don't have that much live TV, we're just streaming all the time, then we're all on different pathways. And that's something to consider too, is what does that mean when nobody's ever really watching the same thing at the exact same time? You know, the idea of the collective experience. Well, a lot of us have, the reason I like the DVR is because you can fast forward and, and get rid of all the ads and, and be um, in a different time zone, especially with something like baseball. Baseball, I can watch somewhere else on my computer. Yeah, but I don't like watching thing. things on my computer. I, I'm on my computer all day long. Well, I hope what, you don't, you're not watching baseball on, on an iPad in bed either, because that just, <laughs> no. kind of just this is not the way you want to experience Baseball it. isn't the same right now. It it's isn't very weird. as satisfying. I, and when they hit the home runs and nobody's chasing after the ball, it just like bounces into the bleachers. It's just Yeah, kind of, that's the part about not that they showed all these woebegone baseballs rolling around in the stands. Yeah. with nobody trying to catch them yeah it's, it's very surreal it's very surreal so much to much to develop on that front i'm sure as people try to figure out how to enliven in those things with something else other than digital fans or whatever that just looks ridiculous so uh next week as you mentioned we'll have ted sarandos on we'll be putting a registration form link on the site pretty soon so if you're interested in tuning into the live recording and submitting questions and you can ask him questions yep you can do that, and uh, I think and he can handle uh, any of them. And he can take them. So uh, I think uh, I think we're both really excited about this. It's, uh, it plays off of a lot of conversations we've been having the last few weeks. So we hope people join us then. And uh, and I hope that you get some good weather sitting outside with Eugene there for the New York Film Festival. <laughs> I'll be here in Walter Reed. I wish I could be in New York. I really do. I dream about New York. It's a sad thing. Time. Get in your car, start driving. You know, <laughs> he stops along the way <laughs> only a matter of time all right i'll see you next weekend bye bye, bye. it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.